TLI often talk to entrepreneurs and software uh, in the software segment and say, you know, um, the funny thing about technical debt is I wish it upon all of you. And the reason I say that is because um, the only way you end up with technical debt is if you have found a great problem to solve for which many customers want to buy your solution. <laughs> and that happens really quickly. If you have a product that is not catching fire in the marketplace, you're gonna your engineers are gonna have plenty of time to architect the most elegant, beautiful, perfect solution. <laughs> but that's not that's not a really good sign for your business. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. All right, everybody. Today, we have Samir Dolakia. He's the CEO of SendGrid, which is a marketing and transactional email service that helps companies do a better job of delivering their emails. Samir, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I guess, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how it relates to kind of, you know, where you're at, where you're at today? Uh, well, I'm, uh, as you said, I'm the CEO here at SendGrid. I've joined uh, just about a year and a half ago um, at this terrific company, SendGrid, that, as you mentioned, is uh, at its core all about delivering email that matters uh, for our customers. We do it uh, for over 60,000 internet and mobile-based customers. So we serve companies like uh, Airbnb, Pandora, HubSpot, Spotify, Uber, Foursquare, and uh, many others. And we also serve folks in more traditional enterprises, um, retail, people like Costco um, or e-commerce companies like an eBay or a Birchbox, restaurants like Taco Bell. Uh, but oftentimes companies that are served, their B2C oriented companies that need to engage with and, and connect with uh, their consumers. Got it. And that's really kind of at the core of what we do. Okay. That makes sense. And so Obviously, there's a little complexity in terms of, you know, what you guys do. So how do you guys go about selling SendGrid? You know, um, one of the great things about the core SendGrid model is how uh, well we got the product market fit. We solved a very specific pain point and problem uh, initially, which was principally on what we call tr our transactional email, or others refer to it as application-generated email or automated emails. Um, and that was that uh, in this day and age, uh, applications need to be able to connect with their users, have to communicate with those users. The simplest example being when you sign up for any new service, oftentimes they will ask you, um, you, you have to put in your email and a password, and then it'll confirm you. Um, that application has to send that email to you to confirm that you are who you say you are. 
and then it'll subsequently send you everything from receipts and order confirmations to password resets and so forth. Um, any developer of uh, an application like that, and of course in this uh, mobile-first cloud era, you've got hundreds of thousands, millions of applications being developed all the time, um, they would all get very um, uh, stuck, I would say. They get frustrated with the complexities of doing what seemed like a very simple task. Well, how hard could it be to send that email? Well, it turns out it's actually a fairly complex task. You have to set up your own email infrastructure. You have to understand the SMTP protocol. You got to understand spam traps. You got to make sure the ISPs and the inbox providers, folks like Gmail, Yahoo, etc., um, know your IP addresses and they know that you're sending good good mail, wanted mail, and not spam. And there's just a world of complexity that goes with that. And it's not at all at the core of what the application developer building that capability wants to be worrying about. Um, when Sangrid in- first introduced our transactional email service in 2009, um, we just hit on that very specific pain point. And so as a result, um, the vast majority of Sangrid sales uh, are uh, self-service. We never actually touch the customer. We have simply educated the market on the problem that we solve. We do an awful lot of content marketing and things like that. Um, and then they find us uh, on the on the internet, and they come in and understand what we do. Put their credit card down. They sign up. They use the service. They connect to our API, and they're off and running. Um, I would say that over probably eighty percent of our customers sign up with SendGrid without ever having talked with a SendGrid employee. Interesting. Okay. Now, when you say you guys do content marketing, can you give us some examples of what you're doing today? Oh, we do an extraordinary amount of, uh, we try to do an extraordinary amount of education on um, how you solve these problems around transactional marketing. So, you know, content marketing will be everything from our, uh, uh, we try to be very active on our blogs um, to uh, webinars that we're holding and uh, and the like, and then really enriching our website, our um, uh the community forums that we have on our site, you know, really to make sure that there's lots and lots of content available for people that are trying to address this problem. And they can, they will find it on the internet um, via the search engines and otherwise. uh, And that draws them in. And we, we then believe that when they see how much we know about solving this particular problem, hopefully they'll want to become a customer. Great. And are there any types of numbers you can share around in in terms of, for example, a startup that's not using SendGrid versus one that is, you know, how much de- how much does deliverability go up once they start using SendGrid? Any numbers around that? You know, it's a great question. We um, there are deliverability is certainly it, it's um, it's a, it's probably the number one reason that that um, uh, our customers select us is they want to make sure that that engagement email makes it to the inbox and not into the spam folder. Uh, and that, that's probably the biggest driver of why our customers choose SendGrid. Um, uh, measuring that um, in an apples-to-apples way across providers um, can be quite difficult. We believe we do it better than anybody in the industry, um, but I don't have a specific set of statistics that I could share with you. No problem. Well, let's talk about some other numbers around the business. What can you talk about to us in terms of what type of volume you guys are doing per month right now, and how about customers? Yeah, you bet. We... Um, uh, because of uh, how broad-based the problem is that we're trying to solve uh, and have been solving for customers, um, 
we have an extraordinary install base. So we have over 60,000 customers. Um, they are, uh, they range from uh, the tech-centric, tech-savvy, internet and mobile-based customers. So folks like Airbnb and HubSpot, Spotify, Uber, um, to more traditional uh, enterprises like Costco and Taco Bell um, in retail and, and uh, hospitality. So uh, a fairly broad base. Um, on behalf of those 60,000 customers, we send an extraordinary volume of email. Uh, we send, on average, over 22 billion emails uh, each and every month. We're touching over 1.5 billion unique email uh, recipients every single month, um, which you know is a just a massive percentage of all the emails known known uh, emails out uh, in the world, uh, and we do that every single month as a as a proxy just to help you get a sense of scale. That's uh, SendGrid sending uh, more emails every day than Twitter sends out tweets, and by a fairly healthy margin, probably thirty percent more uh, wow. given the scale we're at. Okay. And what is, I mean, what is a typical starter plan for SendGrid cost? Uh, we can get, we get folks start, we have a free offering uh, that we help people get into so that they can start to understand how the offering works and can start to implement it, uh, test it out for their particular service. Uh, and then, you know, when they start to get, uh, uh, want more um, capabilities, uh, they can, they can upgrade to packages, but our, our uh, most basic package will get people in the door at, uh, I mean, literally, we're talking at like less than $10 per month um, uh, for a basic package. Uh, what I would say is, you know, a typical starter package for, for a startup where they want to have, they want to focus on their deliverability and they want to have a dedicated IP address to protect their reputation. You know, those will probably start more like $80 a month, but still, you know, a very, very low price point to let people uh, get in the door and start to, to build their, their email program. That's great. That's great. All right, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, you, you came to the company. I mean, the company's been around for, uh, you said, six years, and you just came around a year ago. So I guess, how did you end up becoming the, the hired CEO for, for SendGrid? Uh, a great question, Eric. You know, we, um, as a company, I think, uh, just hit that life cycle stage, and, and this happens a lot, I think, uh, with growth companies. Uh, the set of skills and experiences and capabilities that you needed to be successful when you were going uh, in startup mode from zero to 10 million or zero to 20 million uh, in revenue is very different than when you want to take that company from um, 10 or 20 million to 100 million and towards an IPO. And we believe that's the trajectory that SendGrid uh, is on and um, uh, I think that was that was when we realized we needed um, to to bring in some uh, additional folks to help uh, SendGrid really uh, capitalize on the potential uh, that we have. So, uh, so that was really what motivated the change. Was just the uh, the initial leadership team that was here at SendGrid was awesome, and they did an extraordinary job uh, of building uh, a great company with a deep culture. Uh, that still is the core, um, I think, of what makes this place such a magical and special company uh, and, and really got all of um, the machinery in place. And now as we look to scale it, um, we just were bringing in a lot of folks that, that have had more experience with that phase of the life cycle. Um, that's when I arrived. That's also when, when I brought in um, 
a new CFO and COO. We've hired a new VP of engineering, a new chief marketing officer, a new uh, head of products. So we've been um, adding pretty significantly to the leadership team so that we can help with what I would describe as sort of the next chapter of SendGrid. All right. Makes sense. So when you come in, I, I, I mean, how do you, as, as a new CEO for the company, it's, it's a growth company, how do you assess kind of what needs to be done in the, in the first 30 days? I'm just wondering what does, what's going through your mind in terms of process? Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, Eric, the most important thing uh, for anybody in that kind of a situation is, uh, you know, the old adage of uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth and use them in that proportion is, is pretty spot on. <laughs> I think the most important thing you can do is just listen. Um, and so we set up uh, group meetings, team meetings, one-on-one meetings, lunches, breakfasts, happy hours, um, it just gave me an opportunity for the first couple months, and all I did was just meet with the company, with all of our employees, uh, because at the end of the day, they're the best folks um, to tell you, what are we doing that's going gangbusters well, and we need to do everything in our powers to make sure we continue to do that? And where do we think we can do better? Where are our opportunities? What are some of the challenges, and where do you want um, me and our leadership team to focus? Um I do very much believe in this notion of servant leadership that, you know, traditional org charts get it wrong and they put the CEO at the top and then the rest of the organization below. Uh, I think it's an inverted pyramid where the CEO and the leadership team are at the bottom supporting all the people that do the real work of the company. Um, And so I think when you think of it that way uh, and then go and listen to the people that you're supporting, you say, what can we best do to help you and support you doing your best work? Um, I think that's when you get to clarity on these are the things we should focus on um, uh, and and these are the things we don't need to worry about. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is, you know, I I mean – Based on what I see, a lot of companies will try to do too many things at once, and sometimes it's just about finding the one or two things that are really working and then 10xing or 100xing on them and just focusing on those. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's it's um, really listening and figuring out what's going well and what's not, and let's get after the couple things that we can solve. And you're right. One of the one of the great perils is you try to come in and do too much too quickly. Um, and organizations, certainly when you get to, to any kind of scale, can only embrace so much change. And so you have to do things in a more measured way. I think you're right. That focus and prioritization on let's, let's do, do a couple of these things brilliantly well and address a couple of these problems that really need fixing and not, not try to do too much is, is um, exactly right. Makes sense. So we talk a lot about customer acquisition on this podcast. So what's working really well for SendGrid today in terms of customer acquisition? You know, we talked about content marketing a little bit, but what else is working for you? Yeah, you know, uh, we, we believe, of course, um, heavily in, in the power of email and email marketing um, as a extremely cost-effective way of, of um, uh, both uh, of nurturing and, and acquiring, cross-selling new customers um, so we, we do that a lot ourselves. We, we actually just introduced a new product um, called Marketing Campaigns. Um, so historically, we've been very much about transactional email and those automated uh, application-generated emails and really extended our footprint um, actually just in, in the last 60 days with this new marketing product. So we use that a lot um, to get the word out in our, in our install base, our customer base, um, 
and uh, and folks were using. So email marketing is a big big acquisition channel. Um, we've started to do more with uh, targeted vertical marketing. So we we pick industries or segments of the market where we've seen great success, and then we do you know customer success stories and case studies and whether we then drive those out via uh, you know a webinar where we have the customer talking with us or we put it in in writing and then do email marketing around it uh, may vary the channel may vary um, but that the core of it really is around the content telling that success case and then and then making sure that message is getting to that targeted audience uh, to hear hey this is how we helped a company um, very similar to you Interesting. Okay. And do you have a do you have a rough idea of what the typical sales cycle looks like? It sounds like there's a ton of education involved up front. So I'm just wondering how long it takes for a typical person to convert. Well, you know, uh, we ha- we are blessed with uh, what I would say is a fairly short cycle um, in at the high end, uh, uh, the higher end of the business. So if it's an inbound, somebody has come to our website. Frankly, first you know, as I said, the, the vast majority of it, it's self service. Those those close within thirty days. Um, uh, even those that are more considered purchases, they're on bigger packages, higher volume senders, um, where they reach out via an inbound lead. They find us on uh, find the website. They say, "Can I talk to someone in sales?" Um, those we close in less than sixty days. Um, we're also adding, in terms of customer acquisition, more of an outbound channel, where we'll have a you know a fairly traditional SDR team, sales development reps that are. Uh, prospecting into particular segments and types of companies that we think we can add value to, um, uh, even those are are less than ninety day sales cycles. So we're we're fortunate. I I come from a fairly traditional enterprise sales background uh, in prior lives, and uh, I'm used to six and twelve month sales cycles. That is not what we have here at SendGrid, and I'm very grateful for it. That's fantastic. Okay, <laughs> so. You've been at the company for a year already. I mean, can you tell us, share one story, you know, one big struggle you faced while at SendGrid? Oh, gosh, one big struggle. Uh, let me think about that. Um, you know, I would say one of the biggest challenges that, we, that we're that we wrestling with now is around, um, you know, what the, this phrase you hear a lot about in the industry and, and software companies called tech debt. Um, uh, yeah. Can you explain what tech that is? To the audience? Yeah, so technical debt for the audience here is when, you know, if you're a company and you grow really, really fast, your software engineers are just trying to keep up with making sure that your platform is scaling as quickly as your new customers are coming aboard. Uh, and when you're a hyper growth company, as SendGrid has been for so many years, uh, you're oftentimes explicitly having to make sometimes suboptimal trade offs in perfectly architecting the solution in the most elegant way for something that is um, sufficient and solves the problem. Um, But over time, uh, as you continue to scale, you do have to go back and and re-architect and clean up some of those things and make improve things that were good enough to get the job done then, but are no longer good enough for when you're five times as large. Um, And and the, the reason... People in the software world use that that particular terminology of technical debt. You can very quickly get into a place where the the quote unquote interest payment on your debt becomes so large that you can't do anything new. Um, 
until you pay off that debt. You got to go back and clean it up. So um, we, we've had to invest a fair bit of our time, um, I would say, in this past year, and we'll continue to do so, um, addressing that that technical debt so that we can increase uh, the the speed of our velocity in adding new capabilities, new features. Um, and you know, I often talk to entrepreneurs and software uh, in the software segment and say, you know. Um, the funny thing about technical debt is I wish it upon all of you. And the reason I say that is because um, the only way you end up with technical debt is if you have found a great problem to solve for which many customers want to buy your solution. <laughs> and, and that happens really quickly. If you have a product that is not catching fire in the marketplace, you're gonna, your engineers are going to have plenty of time to architect the most elegant, beautiful, perfect solution. <laughs> but that's not that's not a really good sign for your business. <laughs> right. What's a great sign for your business is if it's going like gangbusters and you can barely catch up, that's when you end up with technical debt. Got it. So you want all the technical debt in the world and then fix yeah. it later. And you just got to know when is it time. Um, you should be so lucky to have tech debt, I say. Um, but uh, make sh- if you don't have tech debt, you're probably over-engineering the solution. If you have tech debt, you got to get focused on when it's time to get after it. Um, uh, as an example, at Sengri, we've been around for six years. Uh, we probably needed to get after it two years ago, um, you know, maybe one year earlier than we did. But think about that. That's still four years into the life cycle of the company, which is to say, don't worry about that too much too early. Focus on the business and your customers. That makes sense. So how are you guys kind of taking care of the tech debt right now? You know, one of the biggest challenges in any product and engine, you know, software organization, you got product management and software engineers. Uh, there's always a tension between uh, all the great new features and new innovations that um, the product and engineering teams are imagining, and the work that has to be done to sustain what is there and go back and eliminate the tech debt. And so, you know, we just we decided on um, uh, as a leadership team. Uh, we need on on what the right balance was for SendGrid between those two things, and actually carved out dedicated capacity in the system and said, no one can touch this. This amount, this percentage of an engine of the engineering organization's time will be specifically dedicated to reducing the tech debt. There's an entire initiative team that you know goes out and and uh, creates a list of what are the biggest um, challenges around tech debt that we got to pay off that will have the biggest bang for the buck. You prioritize that list, and then you just knock through them um, uh, in, in fairly uh, uh, rigorous fashion. Makes sense. All right, so switching gears a little bit here, more on the personal side now, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> uh, for my 25-year-old self, it would either be on the personal side, it would say, Go live in New York City while you're young. Um, Why New York? Oh, I tell you, I, uh, I've always just loved New York City. It's such a, a vibrant uh, city. It just makes you feel alive. There's so much to do. Uh, I love it there. Every time I go, uh, I just have so much fun. So I love, I wish that's, I've lived in Austin, Texas. I um, lived in Boston. I grew up outside of Boston. I went to business school out there. I live here in the Bay Area. I've lived in wonderful places here in this great country. Um, but I do, I do, it's one of my few regrets in life. I tell you, I don't have many, 
is not having actually had a chance to live in New York City. So I would either say 25-year-old, go live in New York for a couple of years and enjoy that, um, uh, or propose to your wife sooner because having kids when uh, when you get older is harder. The younger you are to deal with your kids, the better. <laughs> That's what I would say on the, on the personal side. Um, on the professional side, I would tell any my 25-year-old self and any 25-year-old listener, um, in terms of your the way you think about your job and your career, always focus on the mentors that you are learning from and growth, uh, being in growth-oriented businesses because from growth creates opportunities. Totally agree with that, and I, I think that's well put. All right. Now, you know, a CEO's job, I mean, obviously there's stuff flying at you all the time, but in an, in an ideal day, how would your ideal day look? How would it be structured? Uh, ideal day um, starts with family time in the morning. Um, I think just remembering what matters most in life gets you grounded and started off in the right way. Um, coming in, I, I'm a big believer in segregating time to deal with email. So I love doing a little bit of email first thing in the morning to you know deal with the inbox, respond, you know, certain things I have to get to take care of. I do that in the middle of the day and then again at the end of the day, but so that, that you, you stay off of email all day. Otherwise, you could just live in your inbox and not get any real work done. You're, you're responding to what the world needs as opposed to what you actually need to get done. Um, and so it would be dealing with some email in the morning, um, having some great team meetings, um, particularly around um, strategic topics. So our previous conversation, picking the, picking the one, or one to three things that matter most that move the needle. Uh, I find that getting cross-functional teams together uh, to talk about how you best move, the, move those needles uh, is always a great way to, to um, advance the ball. So uh, th- those kinds of things, fun lunch with the off- some teammates in the office, um, similar meetings in the afternoon, deal with the emails I'm heading out and go, go spend the evening with my family at home. Love it. Read Love the kid, read the kids, get them to bed, get a snuggle before you call it a night. Cool. So you, when you get home, I mean, you're, it's, you're totally disconnected. There's no more work after you get home, right? You know, I, uh, I wish I could say that I do that as disciplined, a fa- as disciplined a fashion, um, as I should. Uh, I have started as a personal growth, um, opportunity for myself is trying to, when I come home, hand my phone over to my wife um, so that I can be more present <laughs> and, uh, and be more present with her and with my kids. And then after the kids get to bed, um, I'll be honest, there are certain times as a CEO, you have an awful lot of uh, uh, work to do. You know, there just aren't enough hours in the day as the cliche goes. Um, sometimes I do have to get back online after, after the kids go to bed to deal with a few things. Um, but I, I'm trying my best to do do better at minimizing how many times a, a week I got to do that. Great, and that actually segues into you know, it. Sounds like you have a lot of systems there. I, I guess to help, I, I guess I'll reframe this. What's one of your favorite tools to use, like, like Dropbox? Ooh, uh, my one of my favorite tools. Gosh, you know, I use Evernote um, a great deal. I find it to be super handy to have access to a place where you can just jot down thoughts, to-dos, action items, um, things you need to follow up on, and you can you know you can access it wherever you are, whether you're on your phone or at your desk or or somewhere else. So I, I use that fairly heavily. 
All right. Love Evernote. And what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? It could be business. It could be fiction. Whatever it is. Oh, my gosh. Only one? Can I give you, like, three or four? You could give me three. <laughs> okay. Three. Um, I think if you're starting a company, you have to read Ben Horowitz's uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Great. I think it's an awesome, awesome read. Um, I think uh, great a great book I'm reading right now that I think is exceptional to um, – Get Perspective is uh, The Road to Character, written by David Brooks, the New York, New York Times author. Um, he talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues and the time that you spend on each. I think it's an awesome book. Um, and I think if you are if you're a, a software tech person listening to this, I would say, and in marketing, I would say read every book that Jeffrey Moore has ever written. From crossing the chasm inside the tornado, escape velocity, you name it. I think every high tech marketer's gotta you gotta know that. All great books. That, that, that doctrine. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. We'll drop those in the show notes for sure. Um, Samir, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, you can hit me up on, on email, Samir at sengrid.com will find its way to me. Uh, on Twitter, SP Delakia is my Twitter handle. Um, and you can find me on Facebook too. Fairly social guy. All right, everyone. This is Samir Dolakia from SendGrid. Make sure you check it out if you haven't checked it out already. Samir, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text quick tips to 33444. That's the word quick, Q-U-I-C-K, and tips, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.